Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. This podcast is presented by the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation and hosted by our CEO, Jamie Irvin. At the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation, we work with manufacturers, distributors, and repair shops who want to grow their business. Do you have a problem that you would like some help with? We have developed fault codes for heavy duty parts businesses, just like they have for commercial trucks. Find out how many fault codes your business has and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting with us today. All right, let's start this episode. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the podcast where you will get expert advice about the heavy-duty parts you buy and keep you informed about what's happening in the industry. This episode is sponsored by Full Bay. If you own or operate a heavy-duty repair shop, you should check out this game-changing cloud-based solution. And you really can have it all. Efficient techs, faster invoicing, better inventory tracking, and more time with your family. To learn more, go to fullbay.com HDPR. That's fullbay.com HDPR today. As I look back on my career of 22 years in the heavy-duty parts industry, I can now see the impact that specific instructors and mentors had on the trajectory of my career. Without those people, I can definitely say I wouldn't be where I am today. Encouraging young, talented people to join the heavy-duty industry and make a career as a technician, I think has never been more important. And our guest today is one of those great people who really cares about the industry and wants to help young people make a career in heavy-duty. Eric Rubio is a heavy-duty truck instructor at the Fresno Unified School District, and I'd like to welcome Eric to the podcast. Eric, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jamie. Happy to be here. Have you always been an instructor, and why do you focus on heavy-duty? So my experience comes from the military. Uh, I used to be in the Air Force uh, as a mechanic. When I uh, got out of the Air Force, I got contacted by a prior uh, supervisor who was an education manager and over at uh, Universal Technical Institute in Avondale, Arizona. So he asked me if I'd ever thought about teaching. At, at the time, you know, it wasn't on my radar, uh, but he gave me a tour of the campus over there and um, and I was automatically sold, you know. Uh, they have a 250,000 square foot campus, both auto and diesel. And so that's where my education pathway started and I started teaching there. Um, so initially I taught two classes uh, and I taught truck preventative maintenance and I taught hydraulic applications. Okay. So what is it about teaching now that you've been in it for a while that you enjoy the most? You know, um, teaching at the secondary level, the high school level, I think you have an opportunity to make the greatest impact because you're at the ground level. You know, a lot of these young men and women that are in high school, they're still trying to figure it out what it is that they're interested in or what it is that they're good at. And so being here puts me in a position where I can raise awareness about the job one, but then also teach them the skills that they thought maybe they couldn't attain it, you know, at such a level. Uh, Cause there's entry level opportunity straight out of high school. 
for the heavy truck industry and not just being a technician, but working in the parts department, entry level positions and uh, service advising, things like that. You know, the industry as a whole has a skills gap, you know, and the younger generation and, you know, there's a pretty good uh, deficit in the workforce. Yeah. And and let's be honest, you know, you're sitting around Sunday dinner with the family and grandma and grandpa are asking, so what are you planning on doing for a career? It's not the typical situation where a family is, you know, really focused on the heavy duty industry, right? I mean, so many times people are focused on tech, they're focused on other industries, and there's a real competition for competent young people. And I think that's what we've seen in our industry over the years. We have this aging workforce and it's tough. It's really tough. So Tell us something about your students that may surprise us. Um, you know, a lot of my students, when I, so for example, I have 29 seniors this year. Last year was, uh, I want to say 27 out of the 29 had never checked a tire pressure on a tire before, you know? Uh, so that was the first time that they had ever done anything like that. And it's just, you know, uh, Fresno, uh, a lot of my students, they take the city bus. You know, they're in, um, a lot of the students don't drive either. You know, I don't know if it has to deal with smog laws in California, you know, finding a vehicle that's able to pass smog that's at an affordable price. You know, those three, $400 cars that, you know, I could buy when I went to high school in California no longer exist because of the strict smog laws. So those cars that are at that price, they just don't pass smog, so they don't drive which means that they're not working on their own cars and things like that. So, but however, their aptitude and their attitude and their work ethic um, can, can help them learn at a pace that I didn't think was possible. So they're proving me proven. Uh, you know, I do constant checks for learning when I'm going through my curriculum and I'm teaching them things and they're really getting this stuff uh, at a, at a pretty awesome rate. Um, and then, this past week on Wednesday, they went out to a job site. Uh, so that's an unpaid internship program that I've kind of uh, been working with uh, uh, industry partners to place students into the shop, into that environment one day a week, you know. And um, they, I made my rounds after they took the school bus to all of their job sites. And they were, after a short orientation, they were getting right to work. You know, it's just awesome seeing that. Because in four months, they're going to graduate and they can actually put those skills to use for a wage. Yeah. When we were kids, you know, your mom always said, don't take a ride with strangers. Uh, don't go into someone's house you don't know. And today we Uber, <laughs> take rides with strangers. We Airbnb, we stay with, with, with people, you know, go to people's houses we don't know. It's amazing how in just one or two generations, things have dramatically changed in that regard. And, you know, I remember when I was a kid, the cars at the time in the 80s, I mean, they weren't easy. They were easier to work on than today, but they weren't like the cars of the 50s and 60s where you popped a hood and you had a carburetor and you can, basically you needed a 916 wrench. It, it, things even then with, with electronic fuel injection and things like that were a little harder to work on and, and the cars were a little more disposable that, you know, rebuilding engines and things like that just wasn't a thing. So you fast forward into the 90s, now into the 2000s and past the 2010s, we're at 2020 already. And that whole thing has changed. So I can see how a kid gets to that age and has no real exposure because now it's been a couple generations since somebody was tinkering on a vehicle in the, in the garage. 
You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Eric Rubio, heavy duty truck instructor at the Fresno Unified School District. Really glad to have Eric on the podcast today. He's got a real passion for introducing young people to the heavy duty industry. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit, Eric, about the trends in the industry, things that we need to pay attention to. So we've already talked about maybe some of the things that surprise us about young people, but there is a problem where we have a gap between an aging workforce in our industry and and it just doesn't seem to be enough young people to fill that gap. So what trends should we be paying attention to? What are you seeing from, from your perspective? Well, we're at a uh, very fragile time and uh, uh, where education needs to do something about the skills gap in the U.S., you know, not just in the heavy truck industry, but a lot of the other trades are starting to uh, suffer as well. And, and the reason why is because you have an aging workforce getting out of the industry. Um, so I know in the heavy truck industry, you have technicians that are retiring um, that are so and along with that they take that knowledge with them a lot of the smarter shops what they're doing is they're retaining those individuals as uh, full-time trainers and um, they're creating apprenticeship programs within their shops in order to cultivate the young technicians and grow them and that's what should be happening school districts you know they uh i don't think they're aware of the grant money and the federal funding that's available to them. You know, for example, uh, you have uh, Perkins funding, which helps support for technical education. Uh, the state of California is leading the country in that funding. So last year, uh, there was uh, there was $2 billion allocated just for the state of California, of which $127 million went to career technical education programs. And having said that, if you know about that funding, then you can produce high quality programs because school districts, they go and they say, well, how much does it cost to build a facility? Well, anywhere between five to $10 million, you know, for a good size facility. How much is tooling? How much is training aids, trucks, things like that? They get, um, they get apprehensive about that price tag of the program. Then they look at the, you know, look at all the investments. Well, how is this going to benefit the community? You know, filling skills gap. Uh, so that way our students can have a livable wage that's going to increase the tax revenue, things like that. They don't know about how to navigate that grant program. So without that, the program just can't exist. There's there's money out there. Not that many schools take advantage of it. I've been put in a position where our school district is very previous to all the grant money. And my school has a career technical education coordinator who does all that work, you know, for all of our pathways and gets all those things written out. You know, I think what should happen is we should all be working together to give that information to each other so that we other districts don't go without. Because you have students that just do not want to go to college that are forced, you know, to go to college. And academics just is one of those things that it's not for everybody. Um, everybody has their strong points and uh, challenges that they face, but I see it in my students. And just what you were talking about earlier, you know, when you're sitting around the dinner table, your grandma and grandpa ask you what you're going to do. You want to tell them that you're going to go to college after high school because that's been, you know, you want to, you think that that's the right answer, but um, you really need to look at yourself and say, hey, maybe I want to do this. And it doesn't mean that it's any, it's going to be any lesser of a career path. It's just a different path, but you're also serving a need too. So, 
Yeah. It, well, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about that. So it's interesting that the education system needs education about the availability of how to go about taking advantage of that grant money. But also, I'm just reflecting back of when I was leaving high school, every kid that graduated in 1997, the year I graduated high school, was being kind of funneled towards computer-related fields because the dot-com was just starting to kind of, that bubble was starting to expand. And I remember at that time, I didn't really understand things like like the law of supply and demand, but I just remember thinking, well, if every kid's going to go do that, by the time we get through four years of school, there's not going to be enough jobs for those people. There's going to be too many people with the training and not enough jobs to go around. And that actually is in part what guided me to make different decisions and not go down that path and to go into heavy duty. I kind of found heavy duty after I left school. And for me, it has been a great career. And when I look at my income over, you know, 22 years, and I look at what other four-year graduates of, of like a bachelor program make on average, what the mean is, I've done very well financially in this industry. And there is, I've never, ever been short a day of work because there's always been demand for young, competent people. I'm not so young anymore, but there's still that demand for competent people. So I think for anyone listening to this, if you've got young people in your life, you got to got to really think about encouraging them towards these trades because there's a great opportunity right now. You know, you know, I tell my students, um, there's a law in the state of California that if uh, if you're required to have your own tools for a job, then um, the employer must pay you double minimum wage. Well, minimum wage just went up to $13 in California, which means that if you're required to have your own tools for a job, then uh, then they must pay you uh, $26 an hour, which is a pretty livable wage. You know, it depends on where you live in California, Bay Area, Los Angeles. But, you know, here in Fresno, um, that's a decent livable wage, especially when you're, um, you know, you become an apprentice, you're 19, 20 years old, making $26 an hour. You're still living with mom and dad. You're not married, no kids. You know, that's where you can pay your bills and save money. And then, uh, it's it's just so that the annual mean wage. If you go to uh, the Department of uh, Labor Statistics, they have they have a website where you can look at these things. And uh, the annual mean wage for uh, bus and truck mechanics and uh, diesel engine specialists. So this is May 2018 was uh, between 52 and 66 thousand dollars a year. So that's the mean wage. That's not the lowest. That's not the highest. That's a pretty decent wage, you know, no high school, uh, no college education required, you know, um, it'd be great to come out of a tech program, attend a community college that has a protective education program or um, do an apprenticeship program with a shop. You know, those are really basically the three avenues that you can take. But you're in the workforce sooner than if you were to go pursue a four year degree. And then just like what you were saying, uh, you're going to be in that rat race with everybody else that has the same degree as you, that wants the same job, and there just isn't enough of them to go around. So if you go get a four-year uh, business degree, there's a lot of people with that same degree, and just uh, the labor market can't accommodate everybody. You know, so you know I tell my students every day, you guys are in a privileged situation where you are obtaining the skills that employers want right now when i go on indeed you know i show them hey let's look at the local diesel technician jobs as of today there's 
63 positions open. You know, so if we take that low median wage, $52,000, and we multiply that 63 times, that's a little over $3 million in wages. You know, so I tell them, just like if you're going to eat somewhere and there's two lines to the buffet, one of them has 100 people in it and the other one has two. Which one should you go to? You want to get fed. Well, this is what this class is doing for you. We're giving you the skills where you can be in that line over there and there's plenty to go around. At the same time, there's no advertisement for this industry as well either. They don't see commercials. They don't see ads on uh, social media, things like that. So there's a big awareness problem, I think. Okay. So that brings me to a next question. Like what can fleets and repair shops that employ heavy duty technicians and they want to attract competent young people to the industry, like how can they do a better job? So you talked about advertising, you talked about social media, which by the way, you do a great job and we're going to have links to your uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. But is there anything else that we can do as an industry to improve? Well, you know, I, I think where it possibly could start would be to train your HR personnel to seek out, you know, the high school tech programs, uh, the community college tech programs. You know, there's nothing wrong with seeking out the the schools that we have right now, you know, WildTech, uh, UTI, you know, those kind of programs because they're well known. But then there's also community colleges that offer heavy duty truck programs. Now we have uh, high school programs that are going to do the same thing. And building those relationships with those schools in order to create a pipeline. All of the shops that I went to, they didn't even, a lot of them didn't even know that we existed or that the high school was here and things like that. So I had to bring them into the shop and show them and invite them, keep, keep my doors open and say, hey, stop by anytime, sit in the class, talk to my students, you know, but uh, the HR personnel just aren't trained to do that. Um, a lot of times they scrub, uh, you know, online job search uh, engines. Some of them even put ads in the paper, you know, I mean, who reads the paper nowadays? So it's just finding other avenues to get the talent in there. And uh, one of my partners, uh, his name is uh, Will Warrenstein. Uh, he's the youngest service manager in uh, Pop A Kenworth's truck service uh, network. And uh, he told me that he's having great success with all of his young apprentices because they've grown up with the technology that is growing inside the heavy truck industry. And all the trucks are utilizing um, onboard CANVAS uh, network systems, you know, to manage all the systems. Uh, you have active radar, you're going to have self-driving trucks. A lot of the young students have grown up with that technology. So when it comes to aptitude and him sending them for the advanced level classes, they can consume that material much faster than a technician that didn't grow up with that technology. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Eric, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Just before we go, though, if there's one thing you want listeners to take away from today's conversation, what is that one thing? You know, I think it's uh, to don't underestimate the younger generation and, and their their willingness to obtain skills and to work. You know, just uh, if you have an opportunity to take to take a young student out of a program and give them a shot, uh, give them a shot in your shop. I, I think that's what you should do, and you'd be uh, surprised what they can do. My mentor taught me, he said, how do you get 20 years experience in this industry? He said, come see me in 20 years. So we were all young at one time. We all were new to the industry at one time and somebody gave us a shot. So we need to, we need to do the same and pass that on to the next generation. Eric, 
I really appreciate you sharing your your viewpoint on what's going on. And everyone, you've been listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report, and I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Eric Rubio, Heavy Duty Truck Instructor at the Fresno Unified School District. To connect with Eric, check out the show notes of this episode, and I've included a link to his LinkedIn profile. Eric, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jamie. I appreciate it. Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? Go to heavydutypartsreport.com today to subscribe to the podcast, and don't forget to give us a five-star rating and review on the podcast player of your choice. I'd like to remind everyone to focus on cost per mile over purchase price and let's keep those trucks and trailers rolling. HCA Truck Pride is the heart of the independent parts and service channel. They have 750 parts stores and 450 service centers conveniently located across the U.S. and Canada. Visit heavydutypartsreport.com slash Pride today to find a location near you. Again, that's heavydutypartsreport.com slash Pride, and let the heart of the independent service channel take care of your commercial equipment.